Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, Comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, Maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story and their story is your story and then it's our story and then it's a podcast so it's everybody's story and then you've shared it and gosh that's great huh and even if you don't think you're a nerd you probably are it's easily the most midwestern thing i've ever been a part of Hey everybody, I'm Eric Arnault, and this is part two of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast featuring the theme Long Distance, recorded at UCB Sunset in Los Angeles, California last Monday night while I was on vacation. Uh, this was a truly wonderful evening, and we've got four incredible storytellers ready for you today, including Faith D'Amato, Nikki Tagilas, Ever Maynard, and Gary Lucy, plus some music from myself and a very special guest. Um, before we get to the episode, I'd like to again thank our sponsors for this week, Cards Against Humanity, as well as the whole Chicago podcast co-op that helps this show happen. If you'd like to support this show, rating and reviewing us on iTunes always helps. You can also check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash nerdalogs and get rewarded with cool stuff. Um, Well, I think it's cool. I guess you have to be the final arbiter of whether it's cool to you. But that is my pitch. Uh, That's all I've got right now. So please enjoy this episode that I think is really, really great. Now I'm going to give you a choice, because I thought about four songs for this show, but I'm only going to play three. Uh, and just like most elections, this is a choice between two old white men, so uh, <laughs> hashtag I'm with her, guys. Um, so you can either hear like a silly, stupid song by Billy Joel, or you can hear a very like ponderous song by Bruce Springsteen. Silly, stupid song. Silly, stupid song is what it is. All right. Sounds good. Um, this is a song about phone sex by Billy Joel. So just think about Billy Joel having phone sex while you listen to this song. I'm sure that's an image you all want. It's called Sometimes a Fantasy. I didn't want to do it, but I got too lonely. I had to call you up in the middle of the night. No, it's awful hard trying to make a love a long distance. See, there's the thing. But I really need a stimulation. Though it was only my imagination. It's just a fantasy. Whoa, whoa. Oh, you guys got to do that. It's just a fantasy. Whoa, whoa. It's not the real thing. It's just a fantasy. Whoa, whoa. It's not the real thing. 
But sometimes a fantasy, whoa, whoa, is all you need. When am I gonna take control and get a hold of my emotions? Why does it only seem to hit me in the middle of the night? You told me there's a number I could always dial for assistance. I expected nothing less. Uh, this next young lady, so this is very cool. I'm very excited to introduce her because I've introduced her brother, I think about a dozen times on our Chicago show. And uh, we connected because she runs a podcast about Girl Meets World called Girls Meet Girl Meets World. And her brother James said, hey, uh, my friend Eric watches Girl Meets World, which is true. Uh, Eric, you should listen to this podcast. And I did. And then we became friends. Uh, her mom is one of our Patreon backers. So she's going to be very excited when I introduce Faith D'Amato, everybody. Shout out to Kathy D'Amato. Thank you for backing us on Patreon, Kathy. You're great. So I'm like kind of new to storytelling, so like I wrote it down because I wasn't sure how this worked because I only hear it in podcast form. Um, so I've been an artist my entire life, and my tastes have always edged towards to fiction and fantasy. And I love the concept of magic, the idea that problems can be solved and dreams can come true with the flick of a wand or the perfectly worded uh, wish on the perfect dandelion. When I was little, I sort of looked at scientists like that jerk who spoils your favorite TV show or tells you how that amazing magic trick is done. And though I did find it interesting, I was uh, there was a large part of me that resented science for taking away the magic in my life. A notable example of this was when I learned about the physics of flight uh, intellectually, I was aware that a 700,000-pound jet probably wasn't flying with main reindeer magic, but I was really distraught to find out that the 700,000-pound jet is flying because it's pushing down on air. That's fucking upsetting. <laughs> so, as I'm sure you can imagine, my relationship with science has always been built on shaky ground. But lately, I've been thinking a lot about science and what it's done for me. Uh, to explain my fascination, we'll have to go back to April of 2015. Uh, my mother, who is my favorite person in the world, was on a trip with uh, visiting one of my cousins in London. And I was jealous that she was there because it's one of my favorite cities. And I was also annoyed that she was far away because it meant that I would be missing my daily phone calls for over a week. 
Uh, this is a habit that I started back in college when I was there, and I was really unhappy. So something that was born out of frustration became one of my daily highlights. Uh, it also strengthened my relationship with my mother. And since we were both strong-willed, very stubborn people, we tended to clash when I was growing up. And when you mix in the hormones from middle school and high school, it's no surprise that me moving a thousand miles away was one of the best things that happened for us. Um, you know, I had matured, and uh, our time together was far more precious. I was able to actually appreciate her wisdom, and our relationship became more even. We talk so often now that our conversations often end with, okay, I'm bored of you now. Love you. Talk to you tomorrow. And I, at the time, was going through a breakup with my first love, and I was missing my voice of reason. Though, in retrospect, any single one of my friends could have told me I should have dumped this asshole. Um, I wanted to hear it from her. Anyway, because of her trip, and I had been relegated to communicating over WhatsApp, and quite frankly, as her child, I feel endowed by birth to her constant attention. Uh, a few days into the trip, while she was in Paris, I got a call from my dad saying that she was in the hospital because she was having trouble breathing. He said that she was probably going to be fine, but despite all of our positive thoughts, we were told a few days later that she had cancer. The next few weeks were really confusing and frustrating. My favorite person was stuck on the other side of the world. And I was here in Los Angeles, unable to do anything useful. It was maddening. When she was finally able to make it back from Paris to Colorado, my brother and I went out to see her. It was a really painful trip, but it was really beautiful. Getting to love someone with a real and true appreciation of mortality is a really amazing experience. Only the important things are said and only the important things are done. My brother and I had her take us through step by step how to make her meatballs and how to make her lasagna. She and I lied in bed together and we talked about everything. We talked about death and how she wasn't nervous to leave my brother and I because she knew that we would be okay. And she's right. She and my father did an amazing job raising us, and they also set us up with an incredible support system by way of our family. After I returned to L.A. Um, and several tests later, we found out that my mom was a candidate for a drug that would make the cancer in her system inactive. The mutation which the drug responds to is only present in 7% of people with her type of cancer. Some scientists in a lab somewhere worked tirelessly to make it. They have studied this type of cancer further and created another drug that will attack the most likely mutation of the cancer. These doctors and patients spent years testing it to give people like my family a little bit more time with the people that they love. With the medicine, the best possible outcome is more time. Death is unfortunately a bittersweet inevitability of life. It will always feel unfair when the people are taken from us too soon. As of last Tuesday, we got word that my mother's cancer had mutated and the drug that she's on is no longer working. Though I hope that she is a candidate for this next drug and I hope this next drug keeps her around for a very long time, the truth is that I don't know what's going to happen.
And I'm angry and I'm sad because this was supposed to be our solution. This was supposed to be over. I was supposed to be able to stop worrying about whether or not my mother is going to be at my wedding one day. But the truth is, no matter how it works out, one day I will lose my mom. But the truth is also this. There are doctors in France and in Boston and in Colorado and scientists scattered all over the country that helped me get at least another year and a half of calling her every day and telling her that I love her. I'm so thankful for every day that these people, many of them complete strangers, have given me. And because of these strangers, tomorrow I'm going to call my mom and I'm going to tell her that I was on one of her favorite podcasts. And then we'll get bored of each other, and we'll say I love you, and we'll hang up. And when I think of that, although I'm still completely troubled by the concepts of flight, for the first time in my life, it feels like science is giving me the thing that I've always wanted, a little bit of magic. Thank you. motto, everybody. Oh my god, I had no idea that story was going to be about your mom when I uh, said some nice things about her at the start. I'm really glad I did. Uh, wow, jeez. Thank you so much for sharing that. First time uh, doing a storytelling show, right? And man, killed it. Faith the motto. Okay, so coming next to the stage, we uh, last time we did a show in LA, uh, she told a story about how she shit herself, I think, 27 times in public. It is one of the funniest stories that I think has ever been on this show. It is so great. Uh, she is a writer on CBS's uh, diversity sketch show, variety show, which is premiering very soon. This is Nikki Takilas. There's Nikki. Hi. Thank you, Eric. Um, gosh, I'm crying from that last story. Uh, uh, so I'm crying from that, and that's cool. Uh, and I did talk about uh, shitting my pants at the last story, and I'm going to go in depth <laughs> about one of the uh, 27 times that I have done it. Um, so uh, uh, the story's about, or the theme is long distance, and... Um, I, I thought a lot about the relationships that I've had and even relationships you have with yourself where you're feeling very separated. And um, I have, my daughter lives in Kansas and uh, goes to a very good school. And I thought a lot about um, how a lot of times you can be very present without being physically present. Um, so I thought about that. And then I was like, no, I don't want to cry through the show. I just want to cry before my story. Um, LAUGHTER and then uh, I thought, I'm like nurturing a new, I went on a, a two dates with this uh, amazing man, and I'm like going to Spain, and we're like talking every day, and I'm just like, that's a long distance thing, and then I'm like, I don't know him well enough, he's not worth that time. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, what is the struggle, like the long distance struggle that I've experienced most and hardest in my life? And it is uh, the sheer embarrassment of trying to get to the restroom on time from the place where I am at any given time where I realize it's going to happen. Um, so I, I will tell a story <laughs> about, um, I think in my story, I, I always say, like, um, I 
shit my pants in an elevator um, on tour with my crush, Steve Altine. Um, and I, I did. I had a very big crush on a guy. And I was touring with this group called Baby Wants Candy. And um, I think there were like seven or eight of us on that trip. And we were all wedged in this little bus, um, which was actually a van and not a bus at all. Um, and so we drove. And it was um, my turn. I was driving. And we got way off track. And then my friend Chris Wataski was like, I think we're going the wrong way. Um, most of the people are asleep if you want to just turn around and act like it didn't happen. And I was like, that's great. Um, I then backed into, and if anyone from Baby is listening, uh, hopefully they don't charge me for this because the rental car service did not. Um, but I backed into one of those like red poles at a gas station. And I was like, fuck. And everyone woke up and I was like, everything's fine. We're all doing fine. And I'm just like about to cry and freak out. So it was a very, very long trip to Kentucky from Chicago that day. And we finally got there, and I was like, I'm eating shitty food, uh, because that's what you do when you're already hating yourself. <laughs> so um, we had a vegetarian on the trip, and he was like, I would rather have Panera. And I was like, great, good for you. We're all going to the Golden Corral. <laughs> so we went, and my friends, I had the nachos. <laughs> I had a giant salad with that honey butter biscuit. <laughs> I had, like, some poor choice of fish or something where I was like, fried catfish will be good sitting out under a heat lamp for 42 hours. Um, I then had a dessert, like a, a nice uh, pastry. Uh, went back for a savory and then go for my favorite, the soft serve. Um, I like to, like, break up my dessert so I don't feel like I'm indulging too much, you know? So I always split up my sweets with the savory. It's a very tasty tip. Um, all yours for free. Uh, or $5 or whatever you paid to get them. Um... So, great. Dinner was great. Conversation, laughs, uh, nachos. We get back in the car. I go pick up, you know, the vegetarian from Panera. He's on fire, just, like, flying off those greens and, like, full of vitamins. And he's just chatting, just, like, so excited to get back to the, to the hotel. And I'm, like, feeling it, you know? And I'm like, God, fuck, why did I do that? I'm going to... We have to get back to the hotel right now. Now it's not a time that I can lose the way. And I didn't. I found the way. We immediately went to the hotel. It was a day's in in Kentucky. And I was like, I am not doing well. I'm, like, sweating. And I'm, like, at this point where I'm just like, don't laugh. Don't say anything. No one needs to know, especially Steve Altine. Um and so I'm like okay we're all here everyone get out everyone get out and I get out we lock the car um, and then I just run inside and I was like sorry guys I'm not feeling well um, long trip on the road and so we get to the elevator and Steve's right there and I'm like what is he doing he knows like he's torturing me on purpose so he gets in the elevator with me and I'm just standing like not moving at all everyone's been there right <laughs> um <laughs> And he leaves the elevator. He's on the second floor, and I'm on the third. And he leaves the elevator, and I'm like, okay, just going to let a little one slip out. You all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you guys, it was not a little one. <laughs> it was awful, and it was never ending. And I was like, I need, this is not good. And so I waddled my nasty ass to my hotel room could not get the key to work because you never can um and then I finally I finally did I got inside and then just like inside out stripped through um the the jeans and the tub 
And then, um, you know, did clean it, turned on the shower from the tub. I'm turning on the shower. Um, the shower is cleaning it all off, whatever. And I'm just sitting there and I start crying. And I'm like, how does this keep happening to me? <laughs> and then I'm, I'm just like, you know why. You Look at what you hate, ate. And I'm just shaming myself in my own shame. And I finally, I'm just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm taking a shower and I'm going to the pool <laughs> because I am on a travel day. So I have till tomorrow to clean up. Um, so then I stand up and I'm like looking around and I'm like, where the fuck is my bag? And it's not in my room because I immediately just got out of the van and ran upstairs. So I sat there and I was like, what? And I text my sister and I was like, would you still love me if I told you that I shit my pants again on tour? And she's like, you ask me that every time you shit your pants. And every time I tell you I never, I never loved you from the start. And I was like, okay, uh, good. That relationship is still in check. Um, so I, I am brainstorming here, and I'm like, what do I do? And then I realize, like, I don't have anything. So I call down uh, to the woman because I didn't bring even my planner or purse or anything to know, like, what room the other people are in. So I call down, and I was like, hey, I got a couple girlfriends, and uh, I don't I don't know, uh, these are their names. And she was like, oh, yeah, they're in room 20-whatever. And I'm like, okay. So I called them, and I was like, hey, guys. Real embarrassing story. Totally upset my stomach with those nachos or something, puked on myself. Um, I left my bag in there. Would you guys mind coming up and grabbing the key to the van and then, uh, you know, going out and getting my bag? And they're like, yeah, that's fine. And they went and did it, which was amazing. Um, and as... So one of the girls, Sarah, dropped off the bag. She goes, we know you didn't puke on yourself. <laughs> and she dropped it off. We all go down the pool, and she's like, don't worry. We won't tell the boys. And I'm like, I don't fucking care if they know anymore. Like, we're all in this van together. Um, so, I, yeah, that was uh, that story. And I never, like, I never really get into it as much. <laughs> I think one day I'll probably have to tell Steve because <laughs> um, we're still friends. And I'm like, oh, the shit I was literally going through <laughs> on that trip. Um, so I hope if all of your relationships have long distance that you're always present in those. Um, but hopefully they're not, you know, covered in your own soil. Man, I, I was, I'm two for two on predictive introductions. That's great. I don't know if I'm going to hit it on this next one, but let's see. So this next speaker, also a veteran of the last time we did a, a show in L.A., also incredible story about going to a really, like, actually dangerous uh, women's health clinic. I recommend you all listen to it and then don't go to the clinic she mentioned. Uh, she is fresh off the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is really incredible. This is Ever Maynard. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I went to Galilee Medical and Dennis, Dental, Dinner Center. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I went to the Dinner Center. And uh, I got a pap smear. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they couldn't eat. And uh, <laughs> I was just thinking, like, oh, that's crazy. I did tell that story. And then the next time I, I got it, <sighs> it's been a long day. And I, I'm suddenly so embarrassed. Um because I was like, oh, the last time I got a pap smear was here in L.A., and then it was at Cedar sinai and I thought, for sure, it'll be way better than Galilee Medical and Dental Center. 
but <laughs> it was like I got sexually harassed by my physician, which felt so great. Like he was just like <laughs> he was like taking a little peekaboo inside of me, and uh, he just started going, mm, "This <laughs> this vagina is perfect." <laughs> And then he, like, guided me out by my elbow and was like, welcome to Southern California. And I was like, oh, God, it doesn't get better. Okay. Uh, I was thinking about, like, what does long... It's crazy that Nikki talked about personal growth. Um, (laughs) Because I've done some myself. (laughs) Mainly my hair. You guys can't see it at the house, but... Or online, but I'm growing up my hair. Okay, so what the story's about? Um, just thinking about my perfect puss, and uh, <laughs> it's actually I have a I have a hard time with like I don't know like I hate I hate I hate to have it all medical themed, but I hate going to the doctor. I hate being examined. I've always felt weird about it. I just don't like strangers to see my naked body. I don't think that's so wrong. And um, I, I had, I was, um, I had these moles on my back. Um, just a nice, you know, girthy moles. And, uh, and I, I just kind of ignored them and I was like, they'll die. And, uh, and, and I was, um, my girlfriend at the time, she would, touch my we you know we like making out and stuff okay and she <laughs> you get it and uh she'd be like Bleh, and she would like make a gag noise every time she touched and i'd be like what are you touching and then i would touch i'd be like Ugh, that's how we discovered these moles we just gagged and then uh and then she said you have to get those removed and i said i will not uh <laughs> they'll they'll fall off on their own and uh and instead they were growing and uh i was like wow <laughs> you know what i mean impressive and uh and uh she's like every I, it's it's beyond a um uh surface i'm i'm actually concerned about you now it's not just like a superficial I'm dating a girl with two girthy moles on her back. And uh, I said, okay, I'll go. And uh, at the time, I was living in Chicago, and, and there's the equivalent of the Cedar sinai um, area in Chicago for the listeners. Like, Lincoln Park area is, like, this real nice, like, top of the line. Look at these hands. Uh, <laughs> uh, place to get your body checked out for moles. But I had never been to a dermatologist before because I knew I'd have to disrobe. And that's something that I didn't want to do. I just didn't want to do it. And I said, fine, I'll go. And I showered beforehand, and I put on my best outfit, which ironically is black jeans and a T-shirt, like what that I'm wearing right now. I was like, oh, that's very nice. And uh, I rode my bike down, and I remember it was so humid and, like, sticky. It was just, like, one of those days that even if you showered in the morning at night or in the afternoon, 10 minutes later, whatever, it was, yours are going to be sweaty. And I walk in, and it's so fancy in there, and they offered me, like, mints, and there are all these, like, really beautiful women with, like, great skin. 
skin and like I'm like oh that is that what a facial you know what I mean they're like gorgeous like um like mainly the women here and it's uh like but you know what I mean like ooh so hot and <laughs> like we're girls who drive BMWs you know like I have tights <laughs> and, uh, like those type of girls and I think. I don't belong here because at the time I had a pony mullet. I had a mullet uh, where I, I let the back grow and I had a little rat tail and sometimes I would shave part of my head. I was just the big ferocious dyke and uh, I'm, I'm here in their velvet office and I'm going, look at these moles. And, uh, and the, the nurse or the lady, I don't, I don't think she was a nurse. Too pretty to be a nurse. Am I right, fellas? Okay. And... Uh, this beautiful queen comes to me and she's like, oh, come with me. And uh, she's like, uh, is this your first time? And I was like, yes, it is. And then she goes, have you ever been checked before? Have you ever been to a dermatologist? I said, no, it's my first time. And she goes, great, you're going to need an Oliver check. And I thought she she said Oliver, O-L-I, like the name, like Oliver. And in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm named after Dr. Oliver, of course. Yeah, she did. Uh, <laughs> of course, what else do I expect? And... Um, we go in, and she goes, okay, I'm going to leave so you can get prepared for the Oliver check. And I said, what's the Oliver check exactly? And she goes, no, all over. A-L-L-O-V-E-R. All over check. Remove your clothes. And I just started taking off my pants, and she was like, wait till I leave. And I was like, too late. You know what I mean? She's like, yeah. <laughs> And, but I was just like, I didn't know like what to do. And I was just like standing up and <laughs> like waiting. And I was like, this feels weird. So then I would like sit on the chair, but like I was like sweaty from the bike rides. So, like my skin was like sweating and sticking on this leather chair. And then finally I just kind of did this thing. Cause like she said to leave my bra and panties on. Gross that he said that. And um, I was sitting on this chair and I couldn't move. And, and then I was like, oh, like it was like this for like five minutes until they came in. Just me doing this with my mullet and not knowing what to do and hating my body and feeling so uncomfortable. And then the, the nurse, the queen, uh, the goddess, uh, <laughs> walks in. But she's followed by two other chicks and a hot-ass doctor. And I mean, and, and <laughs> I don't mean, I mean, I'm politically incorrect, hot. And uh, I'm like, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> and, like, the underwear I was wearing had, like, bleach stains. And I was... <laughs> Like super conscious, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, like oh, I don't know." I was on my zippers down, and uh, and and she goes, "Okay, we're we're gonna take your bra off," and I was like, yes. uh, slightly aroused, but still very uncomfortable. And then I was like, "Don't say anything." And she so long. Well, I don't know how much time I have anymore, but I'm laying. She goes, "Get down and lay face down on the table," and I'm starting to sweat even more, and. I don't like people, I don't like crowds, I don't like people, nobody touch me. I don't like being like, I don't like touch. I also don't like a gentle touch. I like a firm touch. If anybody's going to touch me, make it firm. And they're kind of like barely touching me. And like the one woman is like looking at the mole and the other woman is like measuring it. And they're like doing all blah, 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 girl things. And I'm just sweating and, and just aware of my body on this table and my hair and how I'm a girl, but I'm not like them. I'm not like a them girl. I'm a different kind of girl. And um, the doctor 
you know, you guys remember Uga, uh, <laughs> reached, reached and uh, pulled my underwear up <laughs> to look at my butt. She went a little peekaboo, and uh, and I laid there and I felt it, and I just went, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I just went, all right. And then uh, everyone got real still, and then I clenched my butt together. And then the back of my neck started sweating, and my mullet started clumping to my neck, my sweat. And then the palms started sticking, and then I realized what I had said out loud. I had said, all right. <laughs> and then I just started laughing. Uh, because I was like, oh, how inappropriate. But they didn't think it was funny. Uh, from their perspective, there's like some meaty lesbian like sexually harassing them. <laughs> yeah, come check out my butt. And then they were like, okay, we got to check your fronts out. And I was like, just say my front. And, um, and then they got like really technical and they're like, we're going to touch your breast. And I was like, yes, narrate all of it. You know what I mean? Like, then what? Then what? Then what? You know, like turned into a real dog. And, uh, and then they're like, we're going to check the, we're going to check your front, uh, my, front of my puss. Uh, <laughs> we're going to lift up the front of your underwear. And, uh, and need I remind you, it's perfect. And, uh, <laughs> call back. And then, I guess, really, the personal, I just, I wish I would have shaved. You know, like, it just wasn't, I came in for a back mole, and then I left sexually harassing four women. And then I had an unkempt bush. And I, <laughs> And I guess what I've learned is, is just to be fucking oh, prepared for everything. You know what I mean? Like, oh shit. Uh, they were benign. Uh, no, uh, thank you guys so much. Thank you so much, ever. Guys, everybody remember firm touches. If you're going to touch, firm touches. We have one more storyteller this evening. I'm very excited. If you are familiar with any of the other Neurologs podcasts, we hosted a show of his called The Catch-Up, which is this really cool like post-apocalyptic rock and roll radio show. I love it very much. He's developing a new show for us that will premiere. Eventually, he has also got... i got to actually read the title of this show because I'm not going to remember it. Oh, I lost my paper. Gary, you'll have to say the name of the show, but he's a writer for uh, a new sports show coming uh, soon. Check local listings as well. It's going to be really great. He'll tell you the name. This is Gary Lucy, everybody. I messed up the introduction, Gary. I'm awful. That's fine. I know you're doing a good job. Oh, Eric Garneau, everybody. Give him a hand. Keep it going for yourself if you feel like it. You know, for coming out on a Monday night, that's great. And for everyone who did a uh, story tonight, that is terrific. I am going to read you this one. Put it on paper to not cheat you out of any of my uh, wordsmithery. <laughs> It's uh, oh, it's 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 the all new whacked out sports in 4K, which is uh, it's it's been on. For, it's it's terrible. It's terrible. It's, but it, it's like if if there's a rain delay in a baseball game or something, they'll show a, a whacked out sports, and it's it's been on forever. But it's uh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> this is called um, long distance identity crisis, or how I faked my own death to avoid paying a phone bill. <laughs> how much was the phone bill? I want to say like $1,300. It was, it was a long time ago. 
How long ago? Summer of 89. Was that a simpler, more uh, innocent time? It truly was. And yet I struggled. I just turned 22, and life was a slippery fish I could not grasp. My mission to forge an identity as a respectable person was exploding on the launch pad due to lack of guidance and common sense. Descending from a long line of dum-dums, feckless lazy bones, and unsavory lowlifes, I took pride in being the first member of my family to go to college. And now, I was the first member to drop out of college. <laughs> I hated myself, I hated my job, and my first serious relationship had ghosted on me. Do I mean she stopped returning my calls? No. I mean, whenever I went to her house, she'd hide under a sheet and go, <laughs> Eventually, I got the message. <laughs> so how'd this phone bill get so high? At the time, long distance was our nation's most precious resource. <laughs> so expensive, I was too nervous to use it. Nothing I had to say could justify the cost. My chatterbox mom, however, had no such hang-ups. I stupidly gave her the code to charge calls to my number, and charge did. First on some 1-900 party lines, then private chats with her new friends from the party lines, with whom she felt obliged to share my code. I was underwriting a non-stop interstate yakathon. The late 80s 9 number... The late 80s 900 number craze was like a warm-up for the internet explosion of the early 2000s. Dating, sports scores, video game tips, wrestling news, and celebrity gossip were just a phone call away. But there was no free surfing, so it was like paying someone $2 or $5 a minute to read a blog to you. But we loved it. 900 numbers still exist today, but require a credit card up front, so you have a sense of the stakes involved. But back then... The charge went straight to your phone bill, and it was a 50-50 split with Ma Bell, so it felt painless and legit. Am I saying I wasn't responsible for any of the balance due? No. Once the bill got so huge uh, that I knew I could never pay it, I did make some calls to a few Celebrity 900 numbers, specifically 1-900-DE-LA-SOUL. <laughs> the Daisy Age was in full bloom, y'all. Their album, Three Feet High and Rising, felt like the one bright spot in my bleak life. The colorful cover, the catchy songs, the charming interstitial sketches. I wanted to live inside that album so bad. Was 1-900 De La Soul worth $2.95 a minute? Oh, hell no. <laughs> it was terrible. I was hoping for a peek inside the world that was as vivid and well-produced as the album, but it was just three young guys forced to keep an audio diary on an answering machine, mostly boring details of life on the road, weather, lunch, sleeping stats. Mace, Postanus, and Trugoy were great artists, but they had no specific wisdom I could use to pull out of my nosedive. So I only called it like 55 or 60 more times, tops, after that. But what about faking my own death? I'm getting there. First, you need to understand more about the nature of my identity crisis. It's exciting. This is going to be good. Um, at the time, my name was Gary Delamore. Uh, my mom had married this guy, Nick Delamore, when I was nine. I started using his name right away because I never had a dad, and I wanted Nick to know I was into this. <laughs> He'd be gone in less than four years. But I was stuck with the name all through high school and college. My mom had also gotten into all kinds of financial and legal trouble under the name Delamore. Warrants, DUIs, charge-offs, but then she got married again. Now, as Carolyn Martinez, it was like all that stuff never happened. Her tabula was rossed. <laughs> I was so jealous. I told her, I wish I could start a new life under an assumed name. 
And she said, why don't you? And I said, because Nick Delamore legally adopted me, and I don't have the money to get it legally changed. And she said, he never adopted you. He talked about it, but he never actually did it. He never even liked you. (laughs) I could have done without that last tidbit, but the seed was planted. (laughs) To my mother, legal identity was a very fluid concept. She taught me to sign up for the Columbia House Record Club as many times as you want with fake names. <laughs> she changed names at least twice in her life before this to avoid bills. I sensed it wasn't the noblest way to start building my respectable identity, but it also felt like my birthright. She told me I'd be stupid not to. I said, I think about it, which she took as her cue to go on a reverse charges calling spree. Meanwhile, I wondered, did I have the guts to go through with this? Well... Before I dropped out in my last semester, I had read the first half of The Great Gatsby. (laughs) And Gatsby seemed to be doing pretty well in his reinvented persona. He was the very model of respectable society. That could be me. (laughs) But I needed one more sign from above that this was the right move. And it came the very next day. One of the three part-time gigs I was holding down at the time was at a bookstore called A Clean, Well-Lighted Place for Books in... (laughs) in Cupertino, California, practically in the shadow of the Apple campus, where I'm sure an alternate universe version of me was enjoying his first post-college job. But at the bookstore in our popular subversive culture section, next to the anarchist cookbook in the Church of Subgenius Anthology, I spotted a new book called How to Fake Your Own Death. (laughs) Basically what you do is, one, go to a cemetery. Two, find the grave of someone born around the same year as you but who died at a very young age. The younger, the better, preferably a baby. They recommend looking for grave markers with a lot of cherub statuary, because that usually means kids. So, news you can use here. <laughs> Once you find one, write, write down the name and the date of birth, then go to the county registrar and say, I need a copy of my birth certificate. My name is, insert dead baby's name here. Once you get that document, you can start building your own persona, your, 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 your new persona. I knew there was no way I could do that. My sense of identity was already shattered enough without adding a whole new name and birthday to the mix. This crazy plan was completely off the table. Until about two weeks later, when the first big phone bill rolled in. It was the size of the Vogue September issue, with page after page of call details from all the weird cities where my mom's new party friends lived. Moses Lake, Washington, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Platte City, Missouri. The total due so far was like $485, which might as well have been a million at the time. Upon further review, maybe a fresh start is in order. I checked the yellow pages for the nearest cemetery. (laughs) Then it hit me. I already had a stranger's birth certificate. My driver's license and credit cards all said Gary Delamore, but my birth certificate said Gary Lucy, my mom's maiden name, which I hadn't used since fifth grade. I could be someone else and myself. With beginner's mind, I went down to the DMV and said, I'm finally ready to apply for my very first driver's license, please. (laughs) I pushed my application and paperwork across the counter, bracing for the worst. But the lady barely even looked up. She just started stamping things. I aced the written portion. I nailed the driving portion, which had taken me three times the first go-round when I was 15. So already, my new life was working out way better. (laughs) In fact, the whole next transitional month was magic. A farewell tour for Gary Delamore and a coming-out party for Gary Lucy. Absolved of sin and ready to make a fresh start. This was a great plan. 
But of course, there was no plan. I was no closer to knowing how to live life. As the great Gatsby discovered, and I would have known if I'd finished the book, you can't run away from yourself. This was around the time of the Exxon Valdez tragedy, and I had a vague notion of maybe driving up to Alaska to help wipe off some otters, then, then working on a fishing boat or something, but I basically kept doing the dumb stuff I'd always done, only this time it counted on my new permanent record. And for home. I moved in with a friend around the corner who had a spare room. I'd still drop by my old place to pick up the mail, since dead men leave no change of address cards. And the phone bills kept coming. First bigger, then redder, then smaller, then nothing. Victory! <laughs> Except I hadn't won. Several months later, a collection agency caught up with me. Had I read further in How to Fake Your Own Death, I would have realized I needed a new social security number, too. <laughs> Details. I settled the phone bill for around 25 cents on the dollar eventually. I called my mom, hinting maybe she should chip in. Uh, she took a different view. Are you stupid? Never pay a collection agency. The phone company already wrote off the loss. Didn't I teach you any better than that? <laughs> Epilogue. Uh, my life's downward spiral would continue for another three solid years before I moved to Portland and eventually started to figure stuff out. Today I managed to build a life I'm pretty proud of, yet I sleep with one eye open. Because I know the founding document of my respectable, respectable identity is still a driver's license obtained under false pretenses 27 years ago. But let's keep that between us. <laughs> Earlier this year, I got a Kickstarter pitch from De La Soul, raising money for their new album. So I pledged $25, and in the memo I put, would have been more, but I gave in a past life. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Man, it is such a pleasure for me to have Gary on my show. He makes such great stuff. So, I don't want to do just songs about long distance relationships, but I have to do this one. I'm an 80s kid at heart. Couldn't pass up a chance to do this song. I think you're all going to know it. I'm going to need some help at the end. Smile 
Always another show Wondering where I am Lost without you Being a part ain't easy On this love affair Too strange to learn to fall in love again and I get the joy of rediscovering you Faithfully going to do that and he was totally game. Thank you so much, John. Give it up for all the storytellers again one more time. Um, man, this is really fun. I feel really loved. The Nerdlogs are coming back to, uh, I think, in January to, uh, to LA and uh, guess what, guys? They're not sending just me this time. I'm bringing an army. Uh, they're supposed to sound cooler than I did. Your Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy your stories, you might also like Improvised Star Trek. Improvised Star Trek is an improvised parody of Star Trek featuring the adventures of the crew of the USS Sisyphus, a slightly less enterprising starship. For more information, visit theimprovisedstartrek.com. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome! Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.